Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from one million to one tree. Today we are in living very uh, special uh, days. So we are uh, going through a pandemic crisis and it will help you, we will help you uh, navigate wartime, leverage the crisis to grow, to scale up or to adjust scale down in order to scale up later. But our focus will be not on the fear, on the obstacle, but on the vision and on making things happen. Today, we have a very special guest <coughs> to help us to mitigate how do we navigate this wartime and how do we scale up our companies. His name is Rob Sperring, the Vice President at Worth Electronic uh, Group. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. And uh, yeah, let's get to know a little bit more about yourself and uh, more about your career and, and then uh, more about the company as well. Okay. So, so would you mind to just get, let, let us know a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you have been doing in your career? Well, my early career started probably not as you'd expect. Um, I'm ex-military. So I spent um, eight years in the military. I studied, worked in military aviation. So in reality, I think this gave me a very unwittingly, but very, very good leadership understanding, which in a crisis environment, I think is, um, is paramount. It's, it's very, very useful. And obviously I work for a technology companies. So being trained live, on weapon systems, there's, there's no plan B. <laughs> get it right first time. Absolutely. That, that's amazing. So we are talking about um, you, that you are leading uh, a company that um, has uh, uh, revenues uh, north of 14 billion, uh, more, almost 80,000 people uh, worldwide. That's another kind of scale so what we consider in our podcast going from 1b to 1 tree it's a joke because uh, there is no company in the world that has already achieved the 1 tree in annual revenues uh, dollars uh, so uh, the largest one at this moment if i'm not wrong is walmart with half a trillion so uh, 540 or something be uh, around that uh, but anyway getting from zero to 14B, it's, it's a long way. Uh, the company was born in 1945, uh, exactly after World War II, which was also a huge crisis. Um, what, what can you um, present a little bit more about the stage uh, of uh, Europe in terms of, of scale to, to, the, to the audience? I think the company, like you're correct, um, Reinhold Wirth took over from his father, um, Adolf Wirth, um, post Second World War. Very, very humble beginnings. But the values he created back then, um, honestly, they are still fairly much prevalent in all aspects of our business today. So it was about service and being a service leader. Mm -hmm. It was about doing your best to motivate the people with you. Your, the adage, we're all in this together, is, is absolutely right. And it was finding, as always, a niche in the market. 
-hmm. and from this niche developing it and servicing it properly and when you've done that then the, the natural thing is to expand the product range within that niche and this is pretty much how the the company grew um yeah very very good point and um in terms of avenues to scale, we always discuss the typical two avenues. So um, growth, organic growth or growth via acquisition. Um, and we had an interesting discussion uh, one of these days about uh, another channels, namely interna internationalization. Would you like to share some of your um, thoughts on, on the topic or another uh, ways to scale a company uh, at this stage of scale, which is already uh, a giant. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've covered this topic quite well in the past, Mike. And the idea of um, organic growth and acquisition, it's, it's always a mixture. And um, I think you have to go a little bit with your gut instincts when it's mm -hmm. the right time to go in which direction. I think most companies, they, are, they can be successful in terms of developing their business and their operation at a national scale. And this typically for, I guess, a lot of companies will be in the fiscal range of 30 million to 50 million, an enterprise of this nature. I think the main stumbling block, the biggest challenge after this is internationalizing and your business. And it's very hard to do that in today's environment because a toe-in-the-water approach is really very, very difficult. Most of your competitors these days appear to be giants. As you mentioned, Walmart, or it could be your Amazons, or whatever it's going to be. So a toe-in-the-water toe approach is really not the right, right way to go. And unless you have a lot of capital behind you, this is difficult to do. I think the main challenge for companies to do this is to do with communication. Um, you know the values in your own, your own country, you understand the culture, and culture is communication and vice versa. But the rules subtly change when you try to internationalize. And it's a different playing field. And to recognize that very early on, and to adapt to that very early on, and to get the right partners for your organization, which you can share really good common values and really understand intrinsically the, the business model and how it can adapt to, and it will need to adapt slightly in a different flavor to the next nation. This is key to success. And most companies would either have to borrow heavily to finance this, or at this point, they will go down, they're floating the company if they haven't done already to generate the necessary revenue. And I think in latterly, you've seen companies even the size of SoftBank making mistakes in terms of doing, doing exactly this. So what seems like an obvious venture to start with, I think needs a lot more analysis before you, you actually do this. Absolutely. Very, very good points. And we come to uh, the moment of the show where we start discussing the three critical ingredients to, um, to scale or to, that are even more important than now I need to be careful with, with what I will say because I'm, 
I'm in front of an expert on on wartime. So, <laughs> well, no, uh, who goes? <laughs> so number one is radical focus. Number two is world class leadership. And number three, uh, culture of execution. As the the community and the audience knows, we keep uh, co-creating those three ingredients with um, with our guests. Um, and starting with uh, number one, radical focus. So. It's very tempting to believe that we are already big enough to start opening too much the avenues of growth and trying to do too many things uh, at the same time. So having a good balance between focus and diversification and expansion and, and understanding the right timing to expand is really critical for success and for failure. So how do you assure that you keep the focus, you keep the core of the company, but at the, at the, at the same time, you do the best to take the risk to create the future of the company? We added on the show um, recently a company called Fujifilm, uh, where we discussed this. So uh, Fujifilm started with uh, photo, in the photo imaging industry with Kodak, and today, the photo imaging industry represents 15% of the revenues of Fujifilm. So the same technology work was applied successfully to other industries. Of course, they needed to do this um, in, in a certain pace, in a certain timing, uh, this diversification. But keeping the technology from photo imaging, keeping the core there, apply it to another uh, vertical. So coming back to the, to the long question, and sorry for that, it's how to keep the focus, but at a certain time, also preparing the future and taking the risk and the, and the right timing to keep expanding the business and scaling the business. I mean, this is a, this is a really good question. And I don't mean to be vague in the answer, but it's not a straightforward answer. And I think you have to understand the environment you're operating in to do this properly. You, as always, will have key competitors in your market space. And this will determine um, with the amount of aggression you want to go into the marketplace. Sometimes it's good to go in almost at a stealthy angle and just nibble away. And sometimes you may want to go after key business sectors or elements and choose to go very aggressively. Um, again, I think you have to, you have to understand the the finances of your business and to, to expand your business you need to expand your people and depending on the complexity of your product and depending on the complexity of the market you're going to and what I mean by this is this direct sales are you using distribution etc these will all be elements to consider at the rate you go forward um, in the case of worth I've worked on both sides I've worked in distribution and I've mm -hmm. worked as a, an OEM. Right. Um, distribution gives you very quick, fast gains, but you lose control of your pricing further down the line. If you do it uh, direct sales, this gives you hard to get market penetration quickly because you don't have visibility across a wide range. Um, you don't have the shop window that you have in, um, in distribution. So I think it's very, very understand, very important to understand um, your balance sheet. And you need to understand, because most of this will be achieved by marketing or by salespeople. 
So you need to understand your CM2, your contribution margin too. So you take into all aspects of running salespeople. At what point you make profitability out of a salesperson. In my industry, you can say it's technology. So the gestation period for a design in, and hence when you start to get the production, can be anything from 12 months to three years. So you have to understand the return on this investment very, very clearly. And we typically want, well, without giving too many secrets away from worth, I think you have to understand the rate, the speed at which the general trend is running of your business, the growth. And you have to understand what margin you need in terms of profit against what it costs to run the guy as to how fast you bring on the next salesperson. So typically anywhere between 30% profit you're getting out of this person now and up to maybe 200%, then you, you multiply self-division. You bring another person over into that area, they take over half the customer base and you start accelerating forward in this format. But again, you, to understand fiscally how your balance sheet is working and understand how your, your strategy within the market is critical to do this correctly. That's an amazing point. And it kind of introduces immediately the, the second key ingredient to scale, which is world-class leadership. So you just shared a lot of skills that an amazing leader needs to have. And this is really not easy. So amazing people skills. Uh, we tend to say that starting up, it's all about sales. But scaling up, it's all about recruiting. So recruiting is the most important muscle to scale a business. And having that intuition, that feeling, that process in place to assure that we attract the best of the best in the industry so we can play to win with clarity, with the best strategy ever, but also adjusting quickly to that strategy with execution feedback and keeping the eye on the vision and having a vision for the long-term, the mid-term and, and the short-term with clear goals and clear um, KPIs is, is critical. And mm -hmm. so how, how do you assure that you have the right people on the right seats for each <laughs> stage of growth? Well, I don't think you can ensure this. That's <laughs> the, the, the bottom line. And when you're starting out, and you're, you're breaking into a market, you just aren't able to attract the best of the best. I mean, that, that's just the reality. Um, even if you could afford that person, I mean, how do you attract them into your operation? Right. Most people have to go by an agency to do this. And a lot of agencies, they will have their, their main customers as well. And their biggest customers, the ones that spend the most revenue with them, and you're starting out, so that's not you, um, you don't get first pickings of the best candidate. So mm -hmm. this is very, very difficult. And if you want to go down, I mean, in the last decade, it was more common to use platforms like Monster or whatever other recruitment platforms there are. These days, it gets a little bit easier with the likes of LinkedIn, etc. But again, you have to know a little bit about how to operate within social media to make your company look attractive to 
to fresh talent. Right. And I think this is a, a really, really key aspect. And this, this will depend on your market as well. And it also depends on the, the clients that you're working with. Um, if it's a more mature industry, there's no, I say there's no point. You have to analyze if is bringing in a, a Y generation or a Z generation person going to interact best if your, your client's okay boomers like myself or, or whatever. <laughs> so there's a lot, of, a lot of considerations to do in that. But if your client base is mixed and of all ages as well, um, we always operated on the fact and quite successfully as well that we would look to people that had two or three main ingredients. So a minimum of two. So one, you would have the technical understanding already of the type of product you're selling. So in our case, electronics. Two, you would have an industry knowledge and broad industry knowledge. So you would already have a network within the industry. And the third one, which was right on the tip of my tongue, forgive me, a second now. <laughs> no, that's embarrassing, it just escaped me. No worries. So, yes, it was having, sorry, the sales experience, already having the right sales experience. So, right. you can, if you have two of those ingredients already, it's not so difficult to really develop the third one. But if you only have one of those ingredients, then it can be done. Uh, later on, you may be wanting to very, very deep technical person as a field application engineer. Then you have the time and the resource to develop the two other aspects. But when you're starting out, you don't have that time. So you have to hunt very, very carefully. And quite often, going for somebody that maybe comes from a similar type of competitor to yourself that has done very, very well internally within the organization, but they're hitting a ceiling within that organization mm. and they want to do field sales, but they just won't let them have that opportunity. <clears throat> These are very good people to entice over to your, your outfit and give them the leash, give them the chance. And by and large, if you do this and you manage their expectations correctly, you will end up with a very hungry, motivated and very capable young person. Mm -hmm. This is all very interesting um, aspect. So sometimes and uh, talking against myself, uh, we believe that things are white and black, right? And right. Uh, Something very interesting inside a, a large corporation and even within a scale-up is that we also need to start up some businesses. We, we were talking about opening new markets and mm -hmm. we have different companies inside a larger company uh, in different stages of growth that require different leaders and different teams to move those businesses to the next level. It might be business units, it might be different subsidiaries, it might be different geos, different regions. Uh, and uh, so it's very interesting that some of the knowledge that comes from startups, uh, 
venture backed ones are also very important uh, to large uh, organizations and why we discussed in the show uh, these different stages of scaling from 1 million to 100 million, then going for IPO or getting an exit, moving to 1B and then entering the giant path to uh, the, um, the one tree. So, and you have opened a lot of markets and you, and you, you lead uh, a very large region with very different um, cultures. Um, so how do you adapt your strategy and how do you adapt your leadership skills? to such different cultures, such different regions, and such different stages of growth of those companies or, or teams? It's a, it is a really good question. And I'll be honest, I found this very difficult initially. And it's not something which you can just fly at and think you can get right. I mean, you can, there's various online tools you can get where you can say, okay, I'm an English person. I'm looking to break into the Australian market. And that might seem culturally very aligned. You can go on online tools and you can find out, actually, that isn't so aligned. There's a common-ish language, but the values right. are different. The fundamental values are different in terms of how you conduct business, how you interface with people. So I would actually recommend that promoting one particular tool in, in general, looking at that. And this will give you a, a very clear understanding how people understand hierarchy, how they understand the pace of business, whether you just want to dive straight into a business conversation, which is would be most appreciated in some cultures or in other cultures, you right. can't get started. You've had a coffee. I mean, there's no way you can start, possibly even on the first meeting, you're not going to get past social graces. So understanding some fundamental rules like that is, I would say, initially important. I think you have to be open. You have to be very honest, very authentic. And you hear a lot more about authentic leadership these days. And honestly, this, this is the best way. If you try and bring people on, or work with people and you're not straight with them from the, the day one, no matter how good an actor you are, you will get caught out and this will damage your business. So authenticity is a, a key element to, to how you want to go forward. And being honest about the expectations you have with people. Um, if you're setting up an operation in another country, don't just say, I want to hit this target by then, this target by then. Manage what you honestly think is reasonable in the first year. Maybe even underestimate deliberately if you can afford to and let that person over exceed the target on the first year. The second and third year, they will, they will understand how good it felt to already be a winner and you're much more likely to get to grow faster in the second and third years doing this. So, yeah, I think that would be the best advice I could give in this, at this point of time. This, this sounds amazing. And um, it is also, I love the two components of your, um, of your experience, which is authenticity, authenticity and uh, honesty about 
the results and expectations and being super, super clear about what means a successful relationship and a successful result for our partnership as, as leaders. Something that I see is really, and especially in those times of crisis, is repeating the mission, the vision, and the values. So yeah, these absolutely. are the moments where we see character. <clears throat> and repeating the vision, it's not only the vision of the company, it's translating the vision of the company and how it connects with the vision of each leader that is in the business. And the best leaders ever are the ones who are able to pull and inspire people to go in the direction in the vision and going in the direction that the, of the common vision, they are also achieving their own vision. And so it's a win-win a relationship for um, everyone. And the ones who can touch our hearts are the ones who, 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 think, who talk about us, not about themselves. And usually we forget to really talk about the person that is in front of you of us and make them special, unique, and why their role, why, why the role, and why that's the mission, why the role is so important to achieve the vision that we all together want to, to get. And maybe we can introduce here a little bit of flavor of the current situation that we are all facing in business, uh, from large enterprise companies to SMEs, small business, anyone. Um, how a leader should help to keep the team engaged, focused, and moving into the direction of, of the vision, keeping the vision in mind and adjusting, understanding that this is just another step to the Everest. So we might need to go a little bit down and scale down a little bit and get ready to scale up again uh, later. Yeah, if I understand your, your question correctly, Mike, um, yeah. we hear a lot about visions these days and having a, a very, very clear vision. And absolutely, you must have that. But I could imagine as well, when my boss first said to me when I was setting up the UK, what is your vision for the... And I was like a rabbit in the headlights. I had... <laughs> I was a very good salesperson and I was very confident in my abilities to go forward and develop the project. But all of a sudden being challenged with uh, this idea of having to have a vision, this, this, was, this was not overly natural to me. Right. I think if you're a very small outfit, it's okay to start with to have a goal. You know, as you get more and more success, as you're your business starts to flow, then you'll understand a little bit more maybe about how your business can evolve. And it may not evolve exactly in the direction you set out for it to evolve. And that's also okay. You don't have to be so dogmatic and pin yourself down in the original direction you set off in. Um, we had many times a particular product range which we thought was going to be, you know, it's going to go gangbusters and we put a lot of resource behind it and no matter how we pushed that there was just other and we set a vision about it we set a goal about it, it <laughs> just went in a slightly different direction exactly. that's really okay it's you can relax a little bit i think from time to time with this and particularly when you're small and you can like i said you have a goal have an understanding a clear understanding of 
what the key elements are to achieve that goal. And as you become more and more successful, your, your idea of what a vision is and how you, that was going to look like for you and how you can communicate that to your people. This is more of an organic type mm -hmm. evolution. This is not something you can just buy in and plaster all over your business. Um, because honestly, I don't think that will work. Very, very interesting. Amazing. Uh, and thanks for challenging me back again, because I need to work <laughs> on that. I believe that things need to be in a certain way, and I'm working on myself <laughs> there as well. Uh, and we, we come to the third uh, ingredient, the, the culture of um, execution. So if we have clarity uh, of vision, if we keep flexible, that's where I need to learn. Um, if we have the right people on the right seats for each stage of growth, now it's about having the system of execution, the, the rules of communication that you were talking about, um, the, the dailies, the weeklies, the monthlies, assuring that the cross-functional alignment um, is there. And nowadays we are all going uh, to remote mode uh, which is uh, amazing, but it also creates with, with the cause, with the fear, um, and being remote without being in the same office, it becomes even more complex to first uh, avoid um, miscommunication yeah. and assure that communication happens, and second, that we are progressing and adapting to wartime as quickly as possible in just one direction with just one voice so if you take the current climate as an example on this um you need to a and this is a military doctrine you need to react very very quickly you need to recognize where you're at very very quickly you need to understand that things are changing and you need, first off, to prepare the, yourself that you need to change. Unless you understand that intrinsically yourself, your team are not going to understand that. So that's paramount. When you do then take on a slightly different strategy, um, which I guess all of us have had to start thinking about, or hopefully have already done in the last several weeks, how to communicate that effectively to your team. Um, first off, you, if you have managers, um, you may be a small operation, you may, you may be directly communicating this to the team, you may have middle managers in between. Um, you have to have everybody on board. Your next row of people have to be totally on board with what you're doing before you, you set this statement out further. So they have to be part of the decision-making process. You can be very, very clear in your own mind how you want to do it but you must listen to your people as well particularly if you're already international because it from my point of view i'm english i could see crystal clear how this would start running in the uk nonetheless i brought my managers in discussed it with them and they were like yeah well you are english rob but you've lived in spain for the last five years <laughs> i think you missed the trick or two here i took their feedback and because in the end, they're the ones that have to deliver it at their end. And it was the same in Spain, the same in Australia, the same in India, etc. So to start with, everybody has to be on board with the new strategy and how you do this. 
and this turned out to be daily calls, video calls. This is what we're doing. How is this running? And getting feedback from we call the pit face from the people which are actually out there delivering your message to the customers. The communication flow here has to be very, very good. And I wouldn't demonize anybody for coming back with information which was contrary to what we we're expecting. You have to welcome back information. It's, these days when you hear about big data and everything else, everybody seems to be running fanatically to get as much data as possible. And yes, you can understand some advantages of that. But I think it was Benjamin Disraeli, a wartime leader, that once said that, and he was right, it's the people with the best information win. So if you get information which is coming back for you, test it, question it, particularly if it deviates from your original concept of how it was going. And this is where you have to have authenticity. This is when you have to have trust in your people and allow them to express the difficulties they're going, allow them to, if they have ideas, um, allow them to express it. And even if it's contrary to what you're thinking, give yourself a chance to actually rationalize this. And it may need another day before you go back. And you can, it's okay, you can communicate that to your people. Okay, it's a really good point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think on that. It's not how I envisioned it the business running initially, but I trust you. I really want to take this away with me and we get back to you later today, next hour after a coffee, whatever it's going to be. But do it. I mean, listen to your people, the people that are at the blunt end. And I think community or leadership, it's not one-way communication. And you see a, a lot of articles and it just seems to be, this is my message to you. This is my message to you. Right. It's not. Leadership is two-way communication and your people being confident enough to talk back to you um, honestly and not being in fear because it's contrary to your initial idea or your initial statement that they will be accepted. That they, they have a voice. That honestly is the best advice I can give. And that's really an amazing one. Thanks for that. And definitely in terms of rhythms, uh, the weekly is the new daily. The, <laughs> the monthly yeah. is the new weekly. And the quarterly is the new monthly. And the annual is the new uh, quarterly uh, rhythm. Rob, we, we come to the last question of the show and one of our favorites in the podcast. So if you would have the opportunity to meet Rob 15 years ago uh, in, in your corporate career uh, at Worth, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Uh, this, is a, this is a really good question, Mike. So I think I'd have three points for myself. Um, the first point is, like you said, it's 15 years ago. Most people, in terms of upscaling, you have to recognize this will not happen overnight. It's going to be a journey. So take the time to enjoy the journey. Don't be too, too rough on yourself. And the more you enjoy what you do, the better you do it anyway. You're going to meet a lot of people along the way. So take the time to appreciate them for what they are and who they are. 
and you never know how this will come back and benefit you further down the line. I think the second point, which was something I was very slow to get good at, and that's don't sweat the small stuff. There's going to be a lot of people along the way and incidents which you feel has shortchanged you in some way. Don't get stressed about it, just you know, take a bigger stance and move on. The sooner you move on, it's the sooner you move on. And the last point, and all my teams know me for this point, and uh, as my dear old grandmother used to say, God bless her, um, mm -hmm. better to ask for forgiveness than permission. There will be times when you're absolutely convinced in a course of action. And you know that if you ask for permission, A, it may be denied, or B, it'll just take time, which you don't have, to get the permission. So go with your gut instinct. Just do it. And uh, you'll have plenty of time afterwards when it was proved to be right to um, make the apologies or to smooth things out. So, yep, that would be my three points. My advice to my earlier self. What a great way to, to close the show, uh, Rob. Uh, 